Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. We are, we are finishing up, today we are finishing up uh, the Second Thessalonians. We'll be in Second Thessalonians um, in chapter 3. But First and Second Thessalonians has been a wonderful book of, of prophecy. Um, in fact, uh, other than the, the First and Second Thessalonians, the only other book in the New Testament that has more prophecy in it is the book of Revelation itself. So you've indulged me as I've gone through this First and Second Thessalonians because there's so much in First and Second Thessalonians that has to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it's been, it's been three months, three months that we've traveled through uh, the two books, both First and Second Thessalonians. And, and Paul was writing these, these letters to churches that he started. He started these churches. And in Acts, remember, he was only able to spend three or four weeks in Thessalonica or Thessalonia um, before he was chased out of town. So he was writing to them because he had told them many things and administered with them and left other people that were in charge, but they were all new Christians, baby Christians. So he wanted to make sure that they were, we were fully grounded. And there were eight chapters in First and Second Thessalonians that we went through, and they are the greatest prophecies having to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ in the Bible. And that's why we spend so much time on them, and also why I want to review them a little bit. So we'll be concluding Second Thessalonians today, but I want to make sure that we understand that these prophecies, these prophecies of the second coming, are going to be similar to the prophecies of the first coming, which means they will be fulfilled as accurately as they are foretold, as accurately as they are foretold. So, for example, for example, we said that um, we quoted Isaiah, um, um, Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verse 6, uh, at Christmas time. And this is one of the prophecies of the coming Christ child. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that was a, a foretelling of the coming of the Christ child. And, and then if you remember, when the wise men came, okay, the wise guys I call them, when the wise guys, when the wise men came from the east, following a star, they came into Jerusalem. And they said, where is this king of the Jews? Where is this Messiah that is to be born? For we saw his sign in the east, and we've traveled here. We've, we've, we've traveled here. And they went to the scribes, and they went to the, to the Pharisees, and they went to the scholars, and they inquired what the scriptures had to say. And they were able to read out of Micah, chapter 5. It says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are of old from everlasting. So they were able to follow the star, but they knew it was in Bethlehem because the prophecies of the Old Testament were fulfilled literally in the first coming of Jesus Christ. In the same way, we now are looking forward to the second advent of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So, 
if somebody comes to you and they say, where is this Jesus returning? How and what manner is he returning? We saw a star in the east and we don't know exactly what to do. You could go to the scholars, but you could say, now wait a minute. I was with Pastor Ken as he went through First and Second Thessalonians. And he told us what manner that should be. Okay, this is called the second advent. We could, we could do that. And Paul wrote to us about that. And I, record, I, I told you that. This was about six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. We were in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we read, but this is Paul's word. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. You see, the Thessalonians were concerned that people had died and they were wondering if they had, they had missed it. But Paul says, no, they'll be, they'll be caught up together with us. And then Paul continued. He said, for the Lord himself, will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Don't scare each other with these words. It's nothing to be afraid of that the Lord is coming back. If you know the Lord, it's something we look forward to. Paul says... Comfort one another with these words. So just as Jesus, just as Jesus came as a baby in Bethlehem, the Apostle Paul is giving us prophecy on how or what manner Jesus will come again at some time in the future. So we talked about this. We talked about this in a, in a, in a sermon that I called being caught up together. Remember being caught up together. And that's, that's what it's called. Um, Paul told us that those who had already died as well as those that are alive and remain would be present for this event, okay? Again, we talked about it in our sermon that day called Caught Up Together. Now, Paul calls this the blessed hope. It, it's something that we look forward to. We're look, to look forward to the coming of the Christ. In fact, this is what the Thessalonians were doing. They were looking forward to it so much that many of them had stopped work and they were no longer working. They were kind of waiting for Jesus to return, and Paul was trying to correct that misunderstanding. He said, no, don't be idle. Don't be idle. In fact, today's sermon is called Do Not Grow Weary, because Paul's going to say, don't, go, don't grow weary in doing good. Paul, the, Jesus will come back, but until that time, keep working. Keep spreading the gospel. There's things for you to do, okay? Plant your fields. Bring your kids up, okay? So there's things that you need to do. So these verses in 1 Thessalonians really don't tell us when Jesus is coming back. They just tell the manner that he will come back. However, there are many Old Testament prophets that gave us ideas of when Jesus returned. In fact, Jesus himself answered that question when the apostles uh, posed it to him. And Jesus gave us indications of also of when he would come back. Now, one of the greatest indications of Jesus coming back was over 300 verses in the Old Testament that talk about the reestablishment of Israel in the land of Israel. And many people thought that that was maybe allegorical, maybe that would never happen. But those of you that were around 1948, May 14, 1948, the prophecies were fulfilled exactly as they were said because Isaiah said, could this happen? Could a nation be born in a day? And Israel was born in a day. On May 14, 1948, they became a nation again. 
So there's over 300 scripture verses that actually talk about that. It's just an amazing, amazing prophecy. Now, Jesus also gave us a number of clues as, as well as regarding the second coming. And Paul echoes some of those prophecies in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. Paul says this. He says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, I have no need that I should write to you, for you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now, what's interesting, if you listen to what Jesus had to say, he mentions some of these same words. He talks about birth pains. He talks about deceptions. He talks about the thief in the night. So Paul is saying the same things that Jesus is. He's giving some specificity. Now, regarding birth pains, I always hesitate when I talk about them because I'm a guy, okay? I'm a dude, okay? So, so we don't know much about birth pains. But I've been told, I've been told by my wife and others that they start off relatively mild. And they're spaced so far apart initially that you really have to kind of take a look at a watch and say, was that a birth pain I had? Was that a contraction? And you take a look at the watch, and sure enough, 25 minutes later, another one happens, and another 25 minutes, another one happens. But as it progresses, the birth pains come, the contractions come sooner and sooner and sooner, finally every 30 seconds a minute, something like that, and they become more and more intense. Now, the one thing you know that when birth pains start, the baby's coming. And it's the same way Jesus said, when you start to see these things happening, when you start to see the acceleration of some of the things that I told you about, the wars and the rumors of wars and the pestilence and the famines and the deception, when you start seeing these things happening faster and faster and faster, these are birth pains and you know that the, the end is near. Now, Jesus said also, be not deceived. Be not deceived. Now, deception is one of the indications of the last time. Paul talked about it, Jesus talked about it, and I talked about it. There's been false religions, false messiahs, destructive heresies, just to name a few, that's been happening since the time of Christ. If you read the scriptures, however, the deception seems to be even broader than that. That in the end times, deceptions will be so common that we won't be able to believe our leaders, the kings, the rulers of the world, those people that are in charge. And I think if you look around today, we see that. We see whether it's coming out of London or Rome or Istanbul or Japan or Tokyo or Washington, D.C. It seems that some of the things that are, we're being told, we can no longer take it to the bank. We no longer have the confidence that we're not being deceived. And if that extends to you, congratulations, because that's exactly what Jesus had said. Jesus and Paul both had said that you would not be deceived. If you're close to Christ, you're not going to be deceived. This is what Paul says in chapter, in, in, uh, chapter 5, verse 4. He says, But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. You're not, like, you're not of the night nor of darkness. Paul's basically saying that as believers, we're not going to be caught unaware. We're going to see the signs. We're going to understand that the time is getting close. Just the indication that Israel is back in the land is a huge, it's kind of a stop clock. There's like, a, there's like somebody started a stop clock when Israel started in May 14, 1948. We don't know exactly when it's going to be, but we know it's going to be soon because that had happened. These believers, Paul said, would not be caught unaware. 
Now, Jesus basically says it's going to be a great deception, but it's not possible for the elect, those who are chosen by the foreknowledge of God. It's impossible for them to be deceived. Now, while we're still in 1 Thessalonians and reviewing Bible prophecy, I want to include chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians because Paul says something very interesting there. Paul says this. He says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Now, one of the things that, that Paul is saying is that the same thing, this sermon series. The sermon series was called Deliverance. And it was from first chapter of Thessalonians, verse 10, where it says that God will deliver us, okay? And here in the fifth chapter, it's saying specifically that God will deliver you from the wrath that is to come. This wrath is, the church is not appointed to wrath. That's why we believe that 1 Thessalonians 4.16 is the first event. We're caught up together with, to be with the Lord before all these calamities happen. You know, the purpose of the Bible, the purpose of the gospel, is that we would be saved. Saved from wrath is one way to understand it. The Bible clearly says that the church is not destined for wrath. Paul says God did not appoint us to wrath. Now, let's turn to the second letter of Paul's to the Thessalonians. That's where we are today, that we're concluding today. And in the second chapter of Th Second Thessalonians, Paul gives us a very interesting prophetic pronouncement. And this has to do with the timing. Again, the timing of when this all happens. Paul says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now again, if this is the very first time you read that, you may have to read it a few times before you start understanding it. So let me explain it again to you. If you were with us again about three, four weeks ago, we were talking specifically about this passage. Paul basically says this, there's two preconditions that have to happen before the Antichrist, that's the lawless one, this man of evil, this man of sin, before he's actually revealed. The first thing is what's called a falling away. The Greek word there is apostia, okay? Now, some people think that's a catching away, but I think it's more of a falling away. And we've had a falling away from the church for a long time, so it's very difficult to put our finger on exactly what Paul is talking about. However, we have some hints. For example, one of the things that Pew Research Center has told us is that, is that today the fastest growing group of people with a religious belief or not, no religious belief is what we call the nuns, okay? Not like Catholic nuns, but N-O-N-E-S. This is a group of people, basically, that have no religious affiliation at all. They're agnostic. Isn't it interesting? We send our children away to colleges. We pay $30,000, $50,000 and more a year to send them away to school. And they, become, they go away to school and come back Marxist and agnostic. But it's true. I mean, that's the fastest growing group within the United States. It's something like 31% of the entire country, about 60% of the young people. Now, the second thing, the second thing is that there's a... There's, a, there's something that's restraining, something that's restraining this, this man of perdition, restraining, and it needs to be removed. 
Now, one of the things that, that scholars believe is that what it's talking about, it's talking about the body of Christ. I try not to use the word church because people think of church as a building or everybody that was baptized or everybody that attends a church. We have a lot of people that go to church on CNE Christians, Christmas and Easter. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about an institution. We're talking about people that know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that's the restraining force. And we actually see that at work today. I mean, so often we hear of something that's going on in Washington or somewhere around the world, and we say, we, we shudder to think that that's something that they actually want to promote. There's a group of people that actually want to promote that. And we look at it as, we'll say that's, that's evil. And it's typically the Christians that are pushing back at that. They're pushing back and they say, not yet, not on our watch. Not on our watch, you're not gonna accomplish that right now. It's the Christians so often that restrain evil. And that's gonna happen until the last time, until the church is taken out of the way so that the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed. That brings us to the conclusion now of Paul's letter. The very end. So we're in the last eight, eight verses of Paul's letter to the Second Thessalonians. And after this, we won't be able to talk about prophecy for a while. So, but our, our topic today is do not grow weary. And we're in chapter 3, verse 10 of Second Thessalonians. And this is what Paul says. He says, so for even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brothers, we do not, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet don't count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace, this is actually a benediction that Paul includes at the end. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you. The salut this salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So those are the last verses of 2 Thessalonians, the conclusion of our, of our teaching on this teaching that we called um, uh, being not deceived, okay, or being caught up together, the deliverance, the deliverance of the church from the Antichrist. Now, Paul's comments, if I go back to that, he says, he says you know, if anyone will not work, neither will he eat. Well, that seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? Sounds like something my mother or my father would have said. You know, it's, it's like, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're under our house, you know, you're going to do your chores. You're going to do the things we told you to do. What Paul is actually saying, he said, all of those that are able to work need to work. If you're able to work, the church has always provided um, a safety net. Um, for example, true religion is to take care of widows and orphans. The church has always done that. The church has done a, a tremendous job in the past of providing a safety net and providing for people that truly need help, need alms. But at the same time, if you can work, you need to work. It's good for you, and it's also good for society. I'm, I'm amazed today. I'm amazed today that any, almost every store I walk into, every restaurant I would walk into, they're looking for help. Yeah. Everybody's looking for help. There's still people that don't have a job. I don't understand why they don't have a job. I'm not trying to be harsh. 
I'm not, tr not trying to be uncaring, but I wonder why so many people are not working when every place, every establishment I go into is looking to hire somebody. Now, what's interesting is I think we need these words today more than ever. I, I really do. Uh, Pew Research, I mentioned them before, did a study that they just concluded in July of this last year, so it's very, very recent. And they found that 52% of young adults, 52% of young adults, those are people that are 18 to 29, are living with their parents. Now, this is the highest percentage of young people. Most of them are unemployed or underemployed, living with their parents since the Great Depression, since the time of the 1930s, 52%, 52%. You know, what's interesting is this generation, it's called the boomerang generation because you throw them out and they end up coming right back. You know, we had the greatest generation. We still have some of you around with us today. Uh, that's, the, that's the World War II generation, the greatest generation in the United States. After that was the boomers. I'm a boomer, right? All the, all the men, all the servicemen came back from the war and stuff like that, and there was this population explosion. I was, I was part of it as well. And after that, we have the millennial generation, okay? The millennial generation, and that's my, my, my children's age, okay? These are kids that were born around the time of the last millennial, 20 years ago. The newest generation, however, is this boomerang generation. They just, they just, they never, <laughs> they, just, they don't stay out there. They, they keep on coming back. But these closing verses of 2 Thessalonians are important. It's do not grow weary, especially in doing good. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions, but I think we're going to make one for Celebrate Seniors. And that is we're going to do something different beginning in the new year. Uh, you know, we, every year during the, during the, on Sundays, we always teach through one of the books of the Bible. We try to do that. And we'll do that also in, in January. We'll pick another book and we'll, we'll go through that over the next couple months. But starting on Wednesdays at our Bible studies, we're going to be looking at the books of the Bible. There are 66 books of the Bible, and we're going to take them one at a time. It might take us two weeks to go through Genesis, and we're just going to cover the highlights. So, for example, in Genesis, we'll go through the major events of Genesis. We have creation, we have the fall, we have the flood, we have the calling of Abraham. Those are, those are four events we'll go through. We'll go through all those things. Every single week, you'll have a handout. So if you come to all of our all of our Bible studies, you'll have a handout in every single book of the Bible. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to, to putting it together. We believe that the Bible is profitable. That's what Paul told Timothy. He said the Bible is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16. And we're going to take that verse to heart. You know, I'm not into resolutions, like I said, but that's a better resolution to be not weary in doing good rather than what other resolutions do we have usually? Losing weight, getting out of debt, uh, stop smoking, or start, stop smoking, or stop drinking, whatever those, I mean, those resolutions are easily broken. But this is something I think we can really apply. And you can invite your friends and neighbors. There's a lot of people that have never gone through the Bible, uh, but we're going to do that. We're going to talk about all the major events. So, for example, in Genesis, we'll, we'll talk about Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah and his family, Abraham, and, and all of the descendants. We'll, we'll go through all of those in, in just a couple weeks. We'll, we'll go through the highlights. So join us, okay? Join us, on, join us on Wednesdays and be not weary in, in doing good. I want to challenge you. Try to attend. If you aren't attending right now, try to put it on your calendar and find a way to get to either our 10 o'clock or an 11 o'clock Bible study. We do 11 o'clock right here in this room. 
be a great New Year's resolution. Amen? Amen. Let's not grow weary. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for the opportunity like this. To, uh, You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.